Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Hello, this is Travis Cody. Welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. Today, my guest is Maureen Murat. She's an attorney and principal of Cody Advisors, a business consulting firm dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and small business, small businesses, got to get the plural in there, form business entities, transact business like strategy, planning, problem solving, and also obtain financing via equity crowdfunding. Maureen is an adjunct professor at the University of New Hampshire, Franklin Pierce School of Law, where she teaches intro to blockchain and the law, tokenomics and the cryptocurrency regulations, and smart cities, smart government. She's also a summer instructor at Columbia University School of Professional Studies and teaches courses in blockchain, cryptocurrencies, AI, and machine learning. She's also a member of the Education Committee of the Crowdfunding Professional Association, a nonprofit organization that focuses on growing the crowdfunding community globally. But the reason I am having her on the show today is because she's also the author of a book called Raising Money. Maureen, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So you have a very fascinating background, an attorney by day, but you also work in cryptocurrency, AI, machine learning, uh, crowdfunding. To me, those two things don't really go together in my brain. So explain to me how important law is to these you know, I guess we would call these emerging technologies. I would, I would hope that I'm, I'm accurate in that, uh, that uh, generalization. Yes, I think it's, it's fair to say that these are emerging um, or innovative types of technology. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of where the law kind of intersects with all of these new technologies is um, because there are a lot of these technologies that have, you know, come up, but they're garnering maybe a lot of data from people to be able to operate or, um, you know, especially with cryptocurrencies, it's, it's very entrenched in our financial system. So um, when it comes to having these different businesses using blockchain or trying to launch a cryptocurrency, um, the, when we think about what they're trying to do, they're actually in business, right? They're not doing this as a hobby or for fun. They do this because they want to make money off of these different ventures. And so just like any business would need an accountant, it would need, you know, someone to help with marketing, it would need an attorney. So do these blockchain enabled, um, businesses. Yeah. So is this something when you're in law school that you can actually study or is this something you sort of fell into once you got out of law school? I definitely fell into it or it fell into my lap, I guess. <laughs> um, I, it, this was not something the that- AI tracked you down. Right. <laughs> um, this is definitely not something that I learned in law school, believe it or not. When I left law school, I thought I was going to, um, well, I took the Florida bar well, actually I took New York bar first and I took the Florida bar and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to LLM school because I wanted to be a tax attorney. But after taking those exams, I was exhausted. So I was like, okay, <laughs> something else. <laughs> All you did was take the exams and you're like, that's it. I'm burnt out. I can't do this. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and wow. I went to, you know, I went to law school, um, as you know, what they considered older student. And so I worked. So during you the were day. like 22. <laughs> <laughs> uh, closer to 
closer to 25. But I went to, um, I worked during the day and went to school at night. So it was, it was a lot. So to do all that, then to study. So the other students looked at you like you were some sort of alien. Um, They were like, how do you work during the day? Like I'm studying all day long and just barely keeping up. And you were, you were doing both. Yeah, I, and I really appreciated our law school, um, the it's David A. Clark School of Law, for having such a program because I mean it took us four years instead of three years, but it still allowed you to to live. And as you know, the the number of um, people who have to borrow money for student loans is ridiculous, and right. the amount of student loan that's out that's outstanding right now it's in the trillions. So I was trying to do everything I could not to have to borrow too much, you know. So. Um, to me, it was a lot, but it was worth it. It was mm. definitely worth it. Um, but just to answer your question, I know I kind of went on a tangent. I, um, I actually started off um, with starting my business back in 2016, um, shortly after graduating law school. And, um, and I wanted to work on um, helping people with crowdfunding because this was something really new. And I know that, especially in DC, the startup culture was build something great, go to VCs, have them invest in it and then you exit at some point and make a hundred million dollars. But you and, still got to um, get that money to build something great. Right, exactly. And so instead of, um, you know, relying on traditional systems like, you know, the banking or um, other financing system, I thought, oh, wow, this crowdfunding thing could really help communities that wouldn't have options or wouldn't have access to a VC or to, you know, a loan or, or credit or something like that. So, um, but as I was trying to look for clients for this crowdfunding business, I, um, you know, I was going to these different startup meetings, uh, you know, meetup.com meetings. Right. And um, I was encountering people who were saying, well, you know, there's no reason to do um, a regulated crowdfunding because, um, you know, we, we can just do an ICO. I can just create cryptos and do an ICO. And I'm like, what's an ICO? So I, so my introduction to the technology, blockchain technology really came from um, cryptocurrencies or trying to raise money for a business with cryptocurrencies. And when you think about ICOs versus crypt, uh, crowdfunding, it's very similar in the sense that um, it's a large group of people, they're putting in a relatively small amount of money towards this cause or towards this business venture, et cetera. And they're hoping that they make some money off of it in the end. Um, so, so I thought, well, and I guess the big difference is that with the ICO um, wave, it was unregulated versus crowdfunding, right? CF, which mm. is equity and debt crowdfunding that's regulated by the SEC. Right. The SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. So that led, so you got into cryptocurrency and blockchain because you were already in the crowdfunding space. So at what point in this process of getting this experience did you did your brain go, man, not many people know about this. I should probably write a book. <laughs> um, well, the, my partner, the co-author of the book, um, Samson Williams, it was actually his idea. And I think the story was that someone said to him, um, like whatever you do, if you write a bad book, even if it's a bad book, you should write it and, and, and publish it or do something like that. So he was like, all right, let me try to write a bad book. And so, uh, <laughs> so in trying to figure out what to write about, um, we were like, oh, maybe we can do a book about, um, 
equity crowdfunding mainly because the clients we were meeting needed some of this um, information, right? So I told you when I first started, I wanted to help people raise money with equity crowdfunding, but I was encountering people who still hadn't got taken care of the basics. So they still hadn't registered their business. They still hadn't figured out what their business plan was or their revenue model was. Wow. They didn't realize that if even if you have a crowdfunding campaign on a, a platform, you need to market it. And if nobody knows you, you will not raise the funds. Right. You know, so there was all these, there were all these parts to a crowdfunding campaign that, um, you know, I guess either people didn't know or wasn't, wasn't obvious. So we thought, okay, well, let's try to put that into this workbook and, you know, and help them kind of um, create a way to, to, to plan out what they really wanted to do. Because it was more than just saying, oh, I need to raise however many dollars it's more to it than that so um it started off like oh we just you know kind of piece together certain things that yeah, we we'll throw about. this thing together really quick and get it out there right right <laughs> little and, did and, you know <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> that it was a lot more to that um the, the version that we're selling now is actually our fourth version <laughs> So yeah, that sounds about sounds about par for the course. Yeah. yeah. So from from when you first started having the conversations about the book, how, how long did it take you before you actually had a working manuscript completed? Oh, that's a good question. So it was probably about four months because we started out in the beginning of 2019 of the year. Um. And the first version, I think, went out or we, you know, sold it um, in May of 2019. So in that four month time period, though, like it wasn't enough. <laughs> but but <laughs> we also needed the, the the feedback too, which right. I appreciated. Yeah. Well, still going from blank page to a, a fully completed draft in four months. I mean, that's quite the accomplishment. Well, and- well, the benefit of. Um, that was that we we had already presented on these topics too, right? So this is not like, it wasn't really from scratch. We've done presentations on it. I've written articles, Samson's written articles. We have videos. So we had content. We were just trying to, you and know, to put it in one place. Put it all in one place. Yep. Yeah. So did was there a process you followed when you were putting everything together? So did you sit down and start with an outline and then go out and find all the content you already had created around that and then said, okay, here's the things, or did you just sort of do a content dump and then go, okay, how does this all fit together? Yeah. So we did a content dump and then we, we organized it and then said, okay, well, we need to add this section. We need to add that or take this out. Yeah. We did a content dump initially. All right. Yeah. That's a good place to start. So what was the initial response for the first draft and, and what was there a few things feedback that you got that was surprising to you? Um, well, so when you're a co-author, right, you don't always agree on things. <laughs> um, and so our first book was actually, um, the outside was a hard cover, like a textbook cover, um, and it was green. And the uh. writing on the outside of the cover was gold. So one of the feedbacks was, it feels like a school book and not like a workbook because we had pages that you could Oh, yeah, yeah. Answer questions and things like that. So that was one thing. And then um, the other thing was we talk a lot about the Jobs Act, the Jumpstart Our Businesses and Startups Act um, in the book, which is how uh, regulated crowdfunding came to be. But we didn't like explain it and give terms or give like a definition of the different terms. 
um, around crowdfunding. So that was another thing that we added in, you know, a later version. Um, but I, the main thing was the, the outside and adding pictures. So the other thing, we didn't have that many pictures in there initially either. So what does the book look like today? So the book today, I think, looks good. It is um, a workbook. Uh, so the cover's soft or it's paper like a workbook. Um, it's white. And we have a picture on it um, with, you know, a gentleman on the front. But um, the colors kind of pop a little more. Um, the title of the book is a lot longer as well. But <laughs> but, um, but that was because then we, you know, in, in our, I think, version three, we added a section about cryptocurrencies because we were also asked about that and how cryptocurrencies, because one of our talks is that cryptocurrencies or ICOs is just like crowdfunding without the regulations. Um, so um, we added another section about cryptocurrencies and how that might work if you're trying to raise money for your business. Yeah, I have to say the um, the title raising money and then what's inside is is so comprehensive because for the listener, if you go look up the book, they, they cover cryptocurrencies, they cover blockchain, you cover crowdfunding and how that works. You also cover startup uh, capital. You go over the Jobs Act and how you can use the Jobs Act to raise money. But then you also have a whole section in there on branding and building a personal brand, which I think most people would be like, well, wait, well, wait, that seems so out of place with this. But it's that realization that, especially with the bigger companies, like we look at Facebook and what do we see? Mark Zuckerberg, right. Tesla's Elon Musk, Amazon is, is, is Jeff Bezos. And, and so it's the realization that investors are really investing in the founder as much as they are in the company. And so the fact that you were insightful enough to put a, some, some, a section in there about branding and having a, an industry recognition, I thought was, was quite forward thinking. Oh, thank you. Um, and I wanna double back because I said that our, the, the book that we have um, now, what it looks like has a person on the front. That was an earlier version, actually. <laughs> You're like, I have so many versions. I don't even remember what I have right now. <laughs> yeah, number four um, actually has a Bitcoin coin on it kind yeah. of oh that's appropriate yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but yes um so the reason why we added some of those sections about personal branding and we have a section on budgeting um and telling a story and you know don't be afraid to pivot um is because at the end of the day um even though raising money is a, a you know can be a full-time job at the end of the day you're you're still running a business so after the raise before the raise during the raise you should be doing what you whatever you need to do to get customers not it's just not about it's not only about getting investors you also want customers or consumers or or you know so now how does this, this, this so I'm, i've been always fascinated by um venture capital i don't i know very little about it other than you know what i see in movies like the social network <laughs> but okay. So, so what are the different stages of, of capital for a startup and, and, and are there different levels of startups? So, cause you're saying, okay, well, while you're raising money, you also be, need to be building the thing and getting right. customers. So, but if that takes, I don't know, let's say uh, I want to design an app and I know it's going to be 40 or $50,000 just to get the beta version of the app up. Like, are there places you can go to get money for that first 50,000 so that you can even build the prototype to start working on to pitch or are, or, or 
is the startup world primarily like you have an idea, you've got to start it on your own. It's kind of going okay. And now you can go out and start pitching. Is that, am I making sense of the question? Yes. So traditionally, um, so, okay. So first I'll answer the first part of your question about the different stages. So you have seed stage where you haven't started making any money yet. Um, and then, you know, then you're, you might get funding in round A, B, C, D. And, you know, by the time you're in D, you're all, you're, you're making, a lot of money and you have revenue and you just need a little boost to scale. Um, but so the, so the, the stages A, B, C, and D is, is like it, when, when you say, Oh, we got a, a funding in series a, like a savvy investors would know, Oh, that, that means that's a company that's not really making any money yet. Whereas if I said, Oh, we just did a series C funding round and investors going like, Oh, these guys are, they're starting to have profitability and they're doing things well. Is that kind of what that is that the investor lingo? Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. See, I learned something new. I had no idea about that. <laughs> and, and at seed, at the seed stage, you might be in ideation. You might not even have a prototype. It really depends on what you're trying to sell, you know, what that thing is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and oftentimes in the, um, in the seed stage or the seed um, round, um, you know, traditionally people, investors didn't invest in that round, right. Or at that very early point in the business um, because, they wanted to, you know, invest in parts of the business or stages where they were more likely to get a return on their investment. Right. But nowadays, there are more um, um, VC funds that are investing in early stage seed um, round um, for, for for startups. So hmm. that's that's good. But I mean, a startup could potentially be, you know, a company that's been around for five years, right? So a startup doesn't only have to be. Um, you know, a, a one-year, two-year company. It could be around for several years and still be considered a startup. Um, but in terms of like how that that works with, you know, people who want to have, um, who want to start a business, but they don't may not have the funds initially. So if you're in the seed, seed um, round or seed stage or early stage of your business and you don't, um, you know, you don't necessarily have um, the ability to go borrow the money from a bank, let's say, um, you know, oftentimes startups start with the founders or, you know, the owners of the business bootstrapping. So bootstrapping is essentially where the owners put their own money into building the business to a point where they can then go and ask for funding from others. Um, and sometimes that takes one year, two years, three years, it just depends. Um, now, but is there a revenue level where they can, where investors will look at and find that acceptable? Or is it just the founders will put money in and say they get a prototype built and they go and if their pitch is good enough, they could then say like, you know, we need funding now to actually start marketing the prototype and getting customers. It really depends. One, it depends on the industry. And then two, it depends on what you're pitching to the investors. So when you're going to ask for this funding, what, what do you want to do with the funding to get to the next level, to get to the point where you could become profitable? Um, you know, and that means that sometimes you have to create a plan that is, you know, or a roadmap, as they call it, that is two, three, five years out, you know, and granted, you may not hit every milestone, but, you know, once you start taking on investors and taking on other people's money, you have to do your, your darndest <laughs> to, to try to meet those, dif the different criteria of the, the roadmap. So it can be a little stressful to be, um, to be accepting funding from VCs, um, because the other thing is when you take on VCs in exchange, they want equity in the business, right? They want ownership interest. So how much are ownership interest are you willing to give up in exchange for this funding? 
you may not want to give up 50, 60, 40% of your business for funding. Maybe, you know, so you have some options, but I also understand that some people, you know, the, the reason why people have some options is because of capital, because of money. Um, but we also want to keep in mind that, and we have a module on this about social capital. So that's, you know, the, the relationships that you build, the people that you know, that can also help without, that don't necessarily have to be putting money in your hand. So um, it really, it really, I know it's a lawyerly answer <laughs> in the sense that it really does depend, but, but the good thing about crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding and debt crowdfunding is that it just gives you another alternative. It gives you another option um, and you don't have to be, you know, stuck with on this one way to get funding, especially because with VC funding people, I mean, I know we hear about how, you know, certain companies, large companies, especially get hundreds of millions of dollars of investment or they get maybe just $10 million or whatever it is. But I mean, the, um, if you look at how much, how many people actually go out for funding and how many people actually get the funding, it's a very, very small percentage. And let's not even mention like women, women of color, people of color, right? It's even smaller. But so that's why I say that people shouldn't really just focus on, um, you know, venture capital funding because there are other options. And then maybe you could use that um, crowd, maybe you use an equity crowdfunding campaign as a means to get to VC funding. Okay, that makes sense. And so in your book, you have an entire chapter on the different types of crowdfunding that are available under the Jobs Act. So for people who aren't familiar with this world, can you talk about what did the Jobs Act do and why was it so important for crowdfunding? So the Jobs Act, the Jumpstart Our Businesses and Startups Act, um, became effective in uh, 2012, um, but certain parts of it weren't um, effective yet. So for Reg CF, Regulation Crowdfunding, which is Title III of the Jobs Act, um, that became effective um, May 16, 2016. So um, what the Jobs Act did was to help people who, um, businesses, small businesses and startups who need funding to be able to get that funding from the average person. So before the JOBS Act, the only people who could invest in startups and businesses were um, what they call accredited investors. So these are people who have, um, you know, they make $200,000 per year um, over the last two years or $300,000 if they're married or, or they have um, more than a million dollars in assets, not including their home. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has added a few updates to what an accredited investor can consider can be considered to be. But um, but traditionally, it's been about wealth, right? So if you're a wealthy person, then you're presumed to be sophisticated enough to invest in whatever you want. But the Jobs Act says, okay, well we will we will. I mean, with parameters, of course. But we're going to allow um, regular, average. Uh, non-accredited, if you will, investors to also invest in these types of startups and businesses um, so that they can also have a chance at potentially, um, you know, acquiring wealth. What's the difference then between uh, an equity crowd fund and a non-equity crowd fund? And what would be the scenarios when it would make sense to do each of those? So the, um, so there are several types of crowdfunding. I, I normally just talk about four specifically, 
um, just because, you know, when it comes to startups, these are the kinds that they can take advantage of. So you can have donation-based crowdfunding. Donation-based crowdfunding is just what it sounds like. Essentially, you're asking people to donate towards your cause. Um, and, you know, if you think of a platform for that, that's like a GoFundMe, right? So some people start their businesses off by asking families, um, family and friends to, to, to donate to their um, startup costs or whatever they need. Um, and then there is rewards-based crowdfunding. And with rewards-based crowdfunding, um, the way that it works is that, um, so for example, let's say you're going to be selling t-shirts. Um, and so when someone um, puts money towards your campaign, you will give, you tell them that they will either be the first ones to get the t-shirt or that, you know, if they give $50, they get a mug and a t-shirt. If they give $100, they get uh, a mug, a sticker and a t-shirt or something like that. So rewards-based crowdfunding comes with perks. Um, and so um, there are many instances where crowdfunding, businesses crowdfund, especially when they want, where they need the boost to manufacture something. And so what they do is they get the funding from these people and then the, those people are the first ones to get get that thing that they needed to manufacture. Um, and then with equity and debt crowdfunding, those fall under the JOBS Act. With equity, when you when you take on, in this instance, you're actually taking on investors, right? So these people are coming in, putting money towards your business, but they expect a return at some point on their investment. So they come in, they, they, they invest, but they are investing in exchange for equity or um, ownership interest in your business. But with Reg CF or equity crowdfunding campaigns, the equity is um, limited in the sense that it's not like you're gonna have a thousand people who will be voting on different things on your board or something like that. Um, oftentimes the, the ownership interest is very limited. Um, and you know the average investment in a Reg CF um, campaign is 200, 250. So, so that's good. Um, and then for debt crowdfunding, it's very similar to equity, but instead people are expecting to be paid back, you know, in a really, in a, over a, a few years. So it's essentially people coming together to loan you the funds that you need. Sometimes they do it in a convertible note. Um, sometimes the funding comes um, and the way that they're paid back is in a revenue sharing agreement or something like that. So depending on what your business is selling, whether it's a good product or service and what industry you're in, um, that's how you would, and this is something that we do at Crowdy Advisors, we help you determine what, where you should be putting, um, where you should be trying to raise funds. Is it through, should you start a, a Kickstarter campaign first? Um, or should you, you know, to see if you have a target, uh, a market fit? Should you go straight to equity because you, you're kind of on the path where, you know, equity makes sense? Should it be debt? You know, so there are, there are different um, scenarios, but it really depends on what you want to do and what you being the company and what you would be comfortable with um, doing when it comes to raising the funds. Gotcha. Now, are there specific platforms for each of the, these? So like, obviously, Kickstarter, I would think that's a is that a rewards-based or donation-based crowdfunding? Yes. Uh, so like if, are there, is there like a, a, a Kickstarter for equity and is there a, a Kickstarter type service for debt sourced crowdfunding as well? Yes. So, um, so I'll just give it, I'm not sponsored by any of these people, but just to give you an example. So, so, so if, the, if, if the founders of those, these websites are listening, you got to shout out to her and you got to right. you know, give her some nice kickbacks here. Right. <laughs> Free advertising because she works and knows you guys. Oh, so for um, donation-based, think of um, 
GoFundMe and rewards space think of Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Um, for debt and equity, think of Start Engine, WeFunder, um, and then there are a number of new companies coming out like um, Bright. Um, I think it's Bright Investment or Bright Funding. So there are a number of um, platforms um, for equity and debt crowdfunding. Are about fifty-three or fifty-four now. Wow. So how do you determine the direction someone should go? So, so I, in fact, l- l- walk me through the process that well, let's say I have an idea again, I'll just because this is the thing I mentioned earlier, I, I have this idea for a revolutionary new app. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to raise money to hire the coders to help me design the thing so I can get a prototype. So then I can go. So if I come to you and I, we sign the agreement and I'm hiring you to walk me through this process, wh- where do we start and, and how, what are the steps you would take me through to, I guess, get to uh, a d- decent series of uh, cash uh, uh, funding raise? Sure. So first we look at um, whether you are even a, considered a bona fide business, right? Have you registered? Do you have your tax ID number? Do you have a bank account? Do you have an operating agreement? If you're a corporation, do you have those documents? Do you have bylaws, et cetera? Um, people on your team, things like that. Because if you're going to go do a crowdfunding campaign, all of those things have to be in order before you before you can put your, your campaign on a platform. Um, you also have to have your financial um, um, statements and, and information in order because that's something else that you have to submit with your, um, with your application for um, crowdfunding. Because you have to submit this application um, and register with the Securities and Exchange Commission before you can even get onto a platform. So we look to make sure that your paperwork makes sense. And then we look at what your revenue model or structure is. Um, Sometimes I think people want to go straight to funding without figuring out whether what what they want to sell will actually that people will actually want to buy. So that's the other thing. Yeah, that pesky thing when we, um, (laughs) (laughs) I always always get in this conversation with people who are like, well, there needs to be, it's outrageous that there isn't, uh, there's not this type of product available for this type of market. And I was like, yeah, it's not available for that type of market because those types of people, that demographic don't buy that. It's like saying, it's not fair that there's not rap albums for 50 year old Christian white guys. This is ridiculous. That's discrimination to them. And it's like you, the, the 50 year old white guys don't like that music. So they don't buy it. So we don't make it for them. Um, and, and in marketing, that's the biggest failure we see with people is, is it's either something I like and the, probably the phrase I say the most with my clients is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll create sales copy and marketing for them. And they'll be like, I don't like this. And I'm like, yes, but you are a 32 year old uh, you know, white guy, and you've created a product for 48 to 55 year old divorced women who are overweight. You are you, not your, you're not your avatar. Right. Right. <laughs> so like, of course you're not going to like it. Cause I'm not trying to sell to you. Um, right. Yeah, well, so that's so, the other thing. Right. Um, and I know we talked about this earlier about like figuring out like who your customers are and to, 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 you know, this whole, the whole point of this is so that you can make money. Right. right and right. so, you have to know who your customers are and you know whatever you're selling to them that they will actually um, buy it. And sometimes the way to do that is to actually just try to sell it as opposed to try to raise money to find a way to try to sell it, if that mm. makes sense. So, um, so, so we, we, we look at that, but then we also look at um, 
we also offer a pre-launch checklist. And uh, aside from talking about, you know, like what, what your business structure is and all that, we also think about like when it comes to um, an actual crowdfunding campaign, whether it's for equity or debt, you know, what are you willing to concede so that you can get these investments? Um, so some people, you know, are really tight about their equity whether their business is making any money or not, right? right? So it's like, okay, well, I understand that, but if you want people to invest, you have to give them something in return. And so- would, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is complaining that he only has 28% interest in Facebook. I'm sorry, who's, who's complaining? Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, I said, I don't think he's complaining that he had to give away, what was it, 72% of the company? <laughs> right, well, well, not at, you know, however many billions of dollars in valuation, right? Um, but, but, but that's the other thing, um, to also be, you know, aside from the equity side, but to also be flexible in terms of knowing that, okay, if this is not working, then we have to be willing to do something else. Um, so, and not, and, you know, sometimes we're married to, um, the idea of, uh, perfection. And so, and that gets in the way sometimes, um, yeah. So, so we go through all of those things, but I mean, industries, there's not an industry that's specific for um, Reg CF crowdfunding. But what I will say is that because I say that because many different industries have been able to raise money successfully with crowdfunding. But what I will say is that some in- industries obviously do better than others, right? So often, so SaaS companies, software as a service companies, they tend to do better. Breweries tend to do better. Um, and things like that. And I think part of it is because, you know, the whole point of doing crowdfunding is that you have a crowd, right? You have a following, you have a community that you can engage to help you get the word out about whatever it is that you're selling. So, so in terms of industry, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific industry, but, you know, obviously food and technology tend to be towards the top and real estate, real estate as well. Crowdfunding works pretty well with real estate. Yes. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so part of the subtitle of your book is how to use reg cf of the jobs act to raise up to a million dollars so yes. what does it what what would it take for someone to actually be able to do that so first i will say that earlier this week the um sec approved um for um startups or issuers as we call them to raise now $5 million. So it's, oh, been wow. So that's from, been, yeah. So we got to update this again. <laughs> so initially it was a draft five. Here we come. Right. <laughs> so at first it was a million dollars. Then it went up to a million seventy thousand dollars and now it's up to 5 million. Um, but it doesn't become effective for, I think, 60 days after they put it in the federal register. So it's going to be in a couple months. So, mm. cause I think this happened on maybe the 31st of October or something like that. So recently, um, wow. so well, but, what timely, timely, uh, timing for our uh, conversation here. <laughs> right. Yeah. So now you can raise up to five million. But if you look at how much um, other startups have spent to raise the one million, you might want to, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, just because you can raise five million doesn't mean you should try to raise five million. You know what I mean? Because right. it's really dependent on what you need the funding for, because whatever you tell your investors you're going to do. That's what you should be doing with the funds. Mm. Um, but it can cost quite a bit of money, actually, to, especially in marketing. So I know no, no people don't always believe it, but oftentimes marketing costs more than your um, CPA and attorney's fees, hands down. 
because um, depending on what you're trying to sell, how much you're trying to raise and where your target market is, um, you, you will spend quite a bit of money to reach them. So, and that's why I say, you know, in addition to trying to raise money, you're also running a business because you want the people who invest to also be interested in whatever it is you're offering, because then your investors become your customers and your marketers, right? So you can, you know, you can tap into that community um, more than once, if you will. Wow. So let's talk about the, so you, you mentioned sometimes when people see how much money they spent to raise the million dollars, they get scared. So what do you, what, what can you give us in a, a real world example of something you've seen with that? Sure. So initially we were saying um, when, when Samson and I did some of the numbers, you know, normally they say, if you're trying to raise a certain, let's say you're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars, you should be prepared to at least spend 20% of that to get to that, to the number you're, you're trying to reach. Um, And so initially we were like, well, at the very least you'd spend like $16,000, I think was our number. Um, But if that's the case, then it's not worth it to try to raise 50,000 or a hundred thousand, you know, it's you it would be better to raise a little more um, to provide a little cushion for how much you'd have to spend spend on the front end. But I mean, recently um, online, we saw that some companies are, you know, spending almost $200,000 to raise a million dollars. So that's still about 20%, right? Yeah. So So, people get it going, how could I ever even get into this game? Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to raise money because I need $30,000 to get my thing off the ground. And now you're saying, no, no, to, to, you, you got to spend thirty thousand to get a hundred thousand. It's like, well, if I had thirty thousand, then I wouldn't need to raise the money. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so, I mean, so the rules, even though this is, you know, something I think that has opened doors for amateur investors, for the issuers, for the companies, is definitely still presented, you know, some some challenges. But um, but with that said, I mean, if you know going in like certain things that you might have to pay for that are like, you know, non-negotiable, like your financial statements and all that, then there are certain things you can do on your own that don't, that wouldn't would necessarily require you to spend that much money up front. So, and that's why I say people have to be flexible and also understand that, you know, if there's something that you are not, um, good at or that's not your strength that you you know to be okay with having someone help you out with that the other thing i'll mention is um we we also know that we are all this the world we live in is all digital um we're very visual 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 (laughs) that's the word i'm trying to look for so you know we're, we're always online on social media we like um videos memes you know whatever things that are one minute two minute and that's it and let us go on with our day so one of the things we talk about in our book also is about figuring out what your story is and how to capture people with what it is that what the story behind what you're selling and so that has you know i think that is a way to help um companies or startups start getting recognition um, without necessarily spending a lot of money because you're on social anyway. So why not use it for the benefit of, you know, your business as opposed to just scrolling. Um, and, you know, granted a following takes time. So none of this, we'd never say that any of this is something that will, um, you know, happen overnight. And even though we say that, you know, this is something that you could probably try to do within 90 days, you pretty much, you have to have a significant amount of, um, um, uh, of your business in terms of like your launching of your business and all that 
a lot of that has to already be put in place before you can go to the next level and try to raise money, whether it's through crowdfunding, whether it's because, you know, whether you're going to get a loan or whether you're going to go through um, VC funding, you know, you still have to go through a period where you have to get your ducks in a row. Gotcha. So at what point do you prefer that someone come to you for help? So I normally speak to people and well, it depends on where they are, but I've spoken to people at very early stages. So they don't even have um, their company set up yet. So they need help with their LLC or something like that. Um, but then I've also helped people who are beyond that. Right. And they, they, they just need help with um, strategy or they need help to, to, to kind of clean up their documents um, or to, to maybe become in compliance with, you know, tax rules or, um, you know, or licenses or things like that, um, all the way up to the point where, you know, you would need, you would be ready to, to apply and submit your, um, your, your uh, crowdfunding campaign. So, um, you know, I, it's not a specific type of client I have. It just depends on where they are. I try so, to meet them where they are. So based on your experience with, blockchain and AI and machine learning and crowdfunding, you're, you're pretty wired into this industry. Where, what is your sort of intuition of where are things going and what are sort of the next big things coming down the pipeline in, in this arena? Um, well, the, what the funny thing about the blockchain or crypto community is how quickly things move. Um, it's, 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 some days it's like, wow, something else happened. And you always seem to be kind of behind because there's another article or another, you know, something else has happened. Um, I, I think um, the trajectory now and has been for some time now is that enterprises are getting involved, right? Large enterprises like PayPal, Microsoft, um, they are now getting involved in terms of um, providing blockchain-based um, solutions to their customers, right, at an enterprise level. Um, and then we, we also have startups who, are, who are, are small businesses who are starting out and potentially offering their solutions to enterprises, but also possibly to, to customers. So I think, you know, there was a time where everyone, you know, the, the conversation was just about Bitcoin, right? And that was it. But I think now um, over time, we've, we've come across a few waves with, you know, cryptocurrencies and different um, um, issues in terms of scams. And we've come back from, you know, the different regulatory agencies saying, you know, we have jurisdiction and we regulate this and you, you have to do things certain ways. But I think we've reached a point where people are, are understanding that even though there, um, there are very few to none um, depending on where you are in the United States, um, in terms of cryptocurrency uh, specific rules or regulations, that um, the activity could still be regulated because, you know, even though the SEC doesn't necessarily say, okay, we regulate cryptocurrencies, they do, they, their mission is to protect investors. So if you are a company who's offering cryptocurrencies as an investment, then the SEC steps in because they want to protect investors and make sure that investors are being treated fairly, et cetera, and they have, they're given the right disclosures. So I think, um, you know, as time goes on, those things will just become more, um, more of the norm, if you will, in terms of 
being mindful of the different regulations, being mindful of the big enterprises that are part of this ecosystem now. Um, granted, when blockchain um, or cryptocurrencies were created, it was to keep the man out, right? <laughs> or to right. keep these large companies or intermediaries out. But, um, you know, I think it's good and bad. Anytime right? you so, create something that creates a profit, how, how can you expect right. the, the companies <laughs> so, not to come there? It's so, so that's an issue, right? But I think there are still people who believe that, and and right, I think rightfully so, that they can still um, still find a way to operate outside of this system, um, you know, if they really want to. Because the other thing is, not everybody wants to keep the middleman out. So that those, there are those people that you have to um, contend with. And then the other thing is that even though, um, you know, I, I was going to say it's good and bad that these large enterprises are, are, are becoming involved good in the sense that it brings awareness to it. Right. Because before it was just about, Oh, this is all bad. Only drug dealers and people on the dark net use Bitcoin. Whereas now it's like, Oh, well, PayPal allows you to go onto their website and buy cryptocurrencies. Now, you know, PayPal in terms of, you know, um, market, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How how the market um, believes in them, um, you know, people will probably go to to PayPal to buy their cryptocurrencies. Right. Yeah. And then obviously bad because then you know once again it leaves these small businesses and startups out of this um, mm. of the ability without the ability to, to 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 grow or expand because the big companies come in you know and scoop up scoop up this big share of the market. Gotcha. This has been a fascinating conversation. So if someone wants to track you down and hire you or explore the possibility of working with you and your company, how do they find you? So I'm on social media, Twitter, um, Twitter, what's the other one? Instagram and Facebook at Crowdy Advisors. Um, and then I have a website, www.crowdyadvisors.com. And then um, and just Maureen Murat at, um, on LinkedIn. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to The Just Right Show. And I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to TravisCody.com forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.